0: Well, amen. Glory to God. Heavenly Father, we thank You for tonight. We thank You for the opportunity that is ours even on this rainy night to be together in this place to meet together around Your Word. We pray for those who who cannot be with us who join us online. We're so glad that they're able to do this. We're glad that we're able to do this together and use these advancements of technology for the glory of God and for the gospel. We have much to learn about what it means to come before you and draw near to you in worship. We have much to learn about how to prepare ourselves and present ourselves and then come to you. We pray that as we open the book of Exodus tonight, as we as we seek to learn again and many of us have read these things many times in this group that I have, and we're knowledgeable of these things, but again we ask that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to these truths in a real and new way. We desperately need to know and understand the importance, the greatest importance of all, just as our brothers and sisters have done, of drawing near to You, singing praise, and giving thanks to Your name, Lord Jesus, and honoring You with our lives. So we pray tonight that You might teach us from Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Good, good to see all of you, and I want you to look at several places. Find your place, first of all, in Exodus 25. Uh, that's where we'll be tonight as we continue. Now we'll begin the process of looking at the tabernacle as God gave to Moses, the directions and pattern for the tabernacle. Uh, So find your place in Exodus 25, and then if you'll hold your place there, I'd like for you to also look at two other places. Uh, The first of these is in the Gospel of John. If you'll go to the Gospel of John, and those of you who are joining us online, may the Lord bless you. Uh, We miss you. We thank you for your feedback. We thank you for sharing with us what Uh, what you need. If you need things, if you have a prayer request, please let us know so that we can uh, follow up and help you in any way we can. And that's also for all of us who are in this room together. So we come to these famous words in John chapter 4. Um, So this is the Lord speaking with the woman from Samaria when He wanted a drink of water and it turned into a A tremendous conversation. Can you imagine this woman who goes to get some water in a terrible lifestyle condition and she meets the Lord Jesus Christ? And so, not knowing who she's speaking with, she makes this comment about midway through as he talked about uh, the Lord saying, I'll give you the water that will make you never thirst. I perceive, this is 19, 419, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. She's a Samaritan. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, you, will, you worship what you do not know. As Samaritans, we worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. Now verse 23 and 24, famous words, but we need them tonight. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Our Lord mentions to us three very important vital truths about worship as we we begin now to unfold and look in detail at the tabernacle. This original place where God met with His people for worship. And Israel learned what it is to worship God. Well, the Lord reminds us here, true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Did you see that? And ours coming now is true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then He says, 23, very important, for such people... This is an astounding statement. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Who does the Father, God the Father, seek to be his worshipers? Those who are true worshipers are those who worship in spirit and in truth. And then God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This word worship, as I've mentioned to you before, is the same root word we. Learn the word drawing near or prayer. All of these words have a very common uh, word in the uh, original language. They have to do with praying, with worshiping, with coming before God, drawing near to God. Tonight I ask you if you're a true worshiper of God. I ask you tonight, does God seek you out to worship Him? And I ask you tonight if you understand what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. These things are very important and vital for our life. That's why we saw a few weeks ago as we were talking on Sunday morning that we're dead to the world and in 2 Corinthians 7.1. So having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness in in our flesh and in our spirit. If your spirit is not in a good condition... Uh, and you have sin in your life, it blocks you from worshiping God, seeking Him, glorifying Him. So tonight I remind you, we gather tonight around the Word of God, and this is an act of worship tonight. We've sung praise to His name, we've given thanks to His name, now we come to hear His Word to us, and it it is quite an important act of worship for us. Now, Before we go to Exodus 25, keep your finger there. Let's go to the very end of Exodus, to Exodus chapter 40. I've mentioned this to you already as we've talked about this. There are two tellings. There are two tellings of the building of the tabernacle in Exodus from 25 to 40. Two tellings. And we'll talk in the days ahead about why there's two tellings and all those things. And in the middle of that, uh, this is Exodus 40, the very last chapter in the book of Exodus. In the middle of that, of course, in the two tellings, there is that horrible experience of Israel uh, in their Egyptian calf worship. Idolatry again. Going back to Egypt. Going back to their old ways. Living like they used to live and forgetting all of God's grace and mercy to them and salvation and how He's provided for them. This is our way, isn't it? We're just like Israel. That's why Paul said to us, that these things are written for us because they are an example for us who believe. And they're a warning to us uh, so that we might not do the things that Israel did as God's people born, in, born again through Jesus Christ. Now let's read these wonderful words. So where's all this going? All this detail about sockets and boards and, and uh, uh, hangings and linens and, and uh, skins and tables, and gold, and where's all this going? Well, these are wonderful words. Now, this is verse 17, Exodus 40, the end of Exodus. And one day, if Jesus hasn't come, this class will get to chapter 40 one day. But it may not happen in our lifetime. But we'll keep going. Now in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle and laid its sockets and set up its boards and inserted its bars and erected its pillars. He spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he took the testimony and put it into the ark and attached the poles to the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle and set a veil for the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And notice this repeated phrase, by the way, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And we'll come back to that tonight in 25. Then He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil. He set the arrangement of bread in order on it before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then He placed the golden altar in the tent of meeting in front of the veil, and He burned fragrant incense on it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then He set up the veil for the doorway of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering before the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the meal offering just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He placed the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. From it, Moses and Aaron... And his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they entered the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Then... Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Glory, Shekinah is the Hebrew word, the Shekinah of Yahweh filled the tent. The glory of God filled a tent. The glory of God filled a tent. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud, the glory of God, had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tent. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tent, the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would move on. Did you catch it? Through all their journeys, God's people in the wilderness, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in the tent." by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel. So we see this glory of God now dwelling among God's people in this tent, this movable tent, this, uh, this uh, tent with no real external beauty this wilderness tent and the glory of God is there in the tent. Well, all the furnishings must be were, had to be put in place. All of the requirements had to be done. So now we're back to Exodus 25. Find your place back there. And today, we'll be looking at uh, these very important things that God revealed to Moses regarding the earthly pattern of the tabernacle that reveal the glory of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. I call this... When you look at the tabernacle, it is not only the place of worship, and by the way, we saw Moses worshiping with Aaron and the others as those who were the representatives for Israel. Israel there, but they stood in, their, they stood in the place as those who represented them, and they worshiped. They went through the act of worship as God has designed it for, uh, for Israel. And the glory of God came. So there is worship. There is the act of worship, and there's the glory of God that comes with it. I'm going to say this to you again: Whenever we meet for worship, do we experience the glory of God? I think some of us have this wrong. We think the idea of glory of God is we're going to have some spectacular experience or emotion. We're going to. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. We're going to. Uh, we're going to be somewhat uh, uh, overwhelmed by something. The reality is that as we worship, we experience the glory of God by His presence, by His spoken word, and by what the Holy Spirit directs us to do. Do you understand the glory of God that's attached to worshiping God? Or is it just for us all an act of performance? It's something we do, but we do not see the the connection between they worshiped and the glory of God came. Well, these are important lessons for us. So we, we have the tabernacle, my dear brothers and sisters, to remind us. It is a, my way of saying it, and I've given it to you in the outline. It is our glimpse into heaven. God gave these things as we read as types, uh, as a pattern of something beyond the uh, physical tent of the tabernacle and later the temple. So we read these words. Number one observation is that, so tonight we glimpse, into, we glimpse into heaven through the tabernacle. So let's take our minds and think about this tabernacle on earth and what it teaches us about heaven beyond and the glory of the Lord Jesus. And we'll have that meditation and thought a lot in the days ahead. Well, I read familiar words to you. First of all, Exodus 28 Uh, 25 verses 8 and 9, "...let them construct a sanctuary for me," God says to Moses, "...that I may dwell among them," verse 9, "...according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnitures, just, just so you shall construct it." And then in chapter 26, I've given it to you there on your outline, you don't have to turn there, "...but then you shall erect the tabernacle according to its plan which you have been shown," in the mountain. Then Stephen in his sermon to the religious leaders who soon were to stone him to death says our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern. And he uses the Greek word tupos. It is the word for type which he had seen. So this Hebrew word pattern remember the Old Testament is written in the Hebrew language the New Testament is written in the Greek language, so we as English readers must understand these words and these definitions. That's why sometimes I'll take the time to give it to you so that we understand the meaning of it. So our English Bibles generally use the word pattern. Well, the word pattern, this Hebrew word pattern means image or likeness. So he says to him, according to all that I'm going to show you, Exodus 25, 9, as the image as the image the pattern or the likeness that you have you see the construction of the tabernacle had its own pattern and design the very the very tent and later the temple with a holy place an external courtyard and then a a, a holy of holies and uh, only one door to enter into the the temple of god the dwelling of god and then there is this detail of construction of the furniture uh, made of wood and and uh, and gold, precious metals, and also of all kinds of other things as we read. In fact, the list is there before you. The contributions were to be in Exodus 25.3, uh, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat hair, rams, skins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, which is a wood that Uh, is is a uh, desert wood which does not decay oil for lighting spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense onyx stones setting stones for the ephod the ephod is that breastplate that the high priest would wear with all of those precious stones Uh, the twelve stones representing the tribes of Israel so all of these things and praise God the Egyptians had given them all of these things When they left, here, take all of these things. Here, take them all. Go. Please go. And now, uh, the riches of the world are given willingly, as we read in Exodus 25, by God's people in the wilderness, and the tabernacle of God is built. So, God gave to Moses the pattern. This pattern represents something beyond. It is a pattern of something. You see, it's the image of something that's real. It's the shadow. It's that which reveals something beyond uh, this physical tent. God, number two, commanded Moses to construct it according to the exact image. And this is Exodus 25-40. It's right there in front of you. See that you make them after the pattern for them which was shown to you on the mountain. The artists weren't to have any kind of, uh, you know, artists can be somewhat creative sometimes. Well, give me your idea and I'll flare it up. No flaring it up. No fancying it up. No. You're to do it exactly as God has given it to Moses. This is what you're to construct and you're to do it to this detail. That is the way God works. As I mentioned to you before, God knows every detail of our lives. He is a God of exactness. He is a God of perfection. He has put all things in order. Why today aren't you glad that the The wonderful orbit of our earth is just, and the earth is tilted just right so that we're not frozen to death or burned alive. Aren't you glad? Of course, if you're an evolutionist, the cosmic smoke and dust caused that to all happen, didn't it? And it's just perfect. No, we worship and serve the perfect God who does all things perfectly. Perfectly. Teach your children, God is a God of perfection and exactness. We need a little bit more exactness in our Christian lives. The tabernacle is a pattern and image of the realities and glories of heaven. Now I take you to Hebrews. I've got it on your outline. Hebrews 8 verses 1 and 2. I'll just read it to you. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest. Believers have a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister, please notice the language now, a minister in the sanctuary, and I've given you the note below. The the, the Greek word is hagias, it's the word for holiness. Holy. A minister in the hagias and in the true tabernacle or tent. In the hagias and the true tent which the Lord pitched not man. The Lord Jesus is our Glorious high priest alive today in the glorious place called majesty, the majestic place of holiness where the presence of God is and heaven. Oh, go there in your minds. We should spend more time there in our minds. We don't think about it. Heaven, thinking about heaven, is just not for old people. Thinking about heaven is the responsibility of every believer. Look, it'll take you out of despair, it'll help you live with joy. If you think about heaven beyond this world Hebrews 8:5 these things serve as a copy the word is the word is copy or representation and a shadow which is also the word image I added those two words from to help you with the language cast by light of the heavenly things just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle and we're quoting here from he's quoting from Exodus 25, see, says the Lord, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. You see, a shadow is cast because of a light. And the light of God, the glories, the realities of heaven were given in a pattern for Moses to design and build. Think about heaven, my friends, more often than you think about earth. Think about the glories of what's happening in heaven. Uh, I thought Levi would go on with it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again to a living hope so that we might experience our inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, reserved for us in heaven. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Those are the things of heaven. There's nothing to rival it on the earth. And then the tabernacle is a pattern for us, an image also of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've repeatedly given you this verse, but again tonight we'll see it very simply uh, in this chest called the ark. It's, the word is chest uh, with wood and gold and the word became flesh and tabernacle dwelt among us. He lived temporarily among us uh, in His first coming and we saw His glory, you see, just like there was glory that came on the tent of the tabernacle, John and the apostles and all that were around were amazed. The demons, every, all of, all of those who had association with the Lord Jesus, they were amazed by what He said. They were amazed by what He did. They saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then I remind you of Paul's words there at the bottom of the page, Colossians 2.9. In our Lord Jesus Christ in him all the fullness of deity dwells. All right, a glimpse from a glimpse of heaven from earth. The furniture of the tabernacle. Uh, we put on the back page of your outline there's a a picture of the ark and you can see it for yourself there's lots of renderings there's so much there's so many artist renderings of all of these pieces of furniture. I'm not going to try to give you all of those in the days ahead but I would encourage you to look at them again. It's always good to look at them. Here's this little chest. First it was just a common tent, and now it's just a little chest. That, that, that's what we're reading here, beginning in verse number 10. They shall construct a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, and one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. Notice, uh, two and a half long, and one and a half wide, and one and a, and one and a half high, wide and high, the same. And yet you see this beautiful picture, and you shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and out. You shall overlay it, wood completely overlaid with gold, and you shall make a gold molding around it and then you put the gold rings in it, fasten them, and the two rings on each side of it, and you shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. Golden poles through, uh, through these golden rings on a golden chest made of wood. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be removed from it. Because this ark is on the move with God's people. You don't take the poles out. You're not staying. You're moving. You shall put into the ark the testimony which I've given you. Ten commandments. Also we know that a a jar of the manna was placed in there and also Aaron's budding rod. You remember there was a controversy about who were the true priests of Israel and they all laid out their There, Each tribe laid out their rod, and lo and behold, uh, Aaron's rod budded and produced fruit. And so it was placed in the ark. And you make a mercy seat, 17, of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one at the other, And you shall make the cherub of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. And the cherub shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. And the faces of the cherub are to be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I shall give to you. Then, look at these again, sweet words of the Lord, then I will meet with you. This is God's desire to meet with us. I ask you again tonight, my dear brothers and sisters, I know I repeat myself, but have you met with God today? Have you met with God today? You might have met with a lot of people. You might have met with your your dear ones at home and family. You might have met with strangers. But have you met with God? Have you met with God? We're only changed as we meet with God. There I will meet with you and from above the mercy seat from between the two cherub which are upon the ark of the testimony I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. You see God meets with the high priest at the ark of the covenant the throne of God. The ark is always called the throne of God. It is the place where God meets Israel. This chest With all of these testimonies of God's care and providing His Word, His, His promise of priesthood, His promise of provision through the manna, all of these things are in the chest. The chest reminds us of the full provision of God and His Word to us. And then God meets with the high priest at the mercy seat, and there, that is the place called propitiation. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of people spend a lot of time on this word, this Hebrew word is a word that basically we use the, the, the fancy English word, propitiation. It's the word. It's, there's a lot we can say about it. I don't want to get into that except to say this is what mercy seat means. It means satisfaction. The word can mean the place of covering sin. That's what happened in that sacred holy of holies on top of this chest that embodied all of these glorious things God had provided for Israel and promised them there was this gold uh, top on it and there there the satisfaction for sin was made by the sprinkling of blood by the high priest annually on the day of atonement i read i didn't give it to you in your notes leviticus 16:14 the priest shall take some blood sprinkle, uh, sprinkle, and sprinkle with his finger on the mercy seat eastward. God is a God of exactness. God is a God of detail. God is a God of clear direction. He shall take the blood, sprinkle with his finger on the mercy seat eastward. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some blood with his finger eastward. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And not a word is spoken by the high priest while he is in the Holy of Holies. The only thing you hear from the high priest is the jingling of the bells at the bottom of his robe lest God kill him for his sin and they have to drag him out by a rope that was also tied to his ankle. Oh, the jingling of the bells and the sprinkling of the blood. There are no words in the Holy of Holies. The blood speaks. That's what we have here. The mercy seat is that place of the throne of God. Sometimes the mercy seat is called the footstool of God. David in the Psalms speaks of this often. Oh, how David loved the tabernacle, but how he longed for the temple. That dwelling place. And you know what God said. No, you're a man of blood. Your son will build it. But David prepared it all. But then the angels. We do not have descriptions of the uh, cherubim. There are some who speculate. Well, the, you, know, you have Ezekiel. You have places. I believe that the reason we do not have the detail of this is because they most likely would have been become idol- idols. You know, we have the, why we have the cherubim? No, the cherubim find themselves at east of Eden guarding, uh, guarding the Garden of Eden. No man comes back in. Man has violated the right to be in the Garden of Eden. The cherubim are there. The cherubim are used in acts of judgment. They are those who are, who are there in the presence of God. But I want you to see, look at this wonderful, beautiful picture of the, of the position of the cherubim. Oh, go with me and remember, when you worship God, the angels see. The angels see. They are a marvel. They are amazed. I've given you some of this in just a moment. They're amazed at the act of salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. What did Paul say? God did not put His hand on the angels. He put His hand. He gave His seed to the son of Abraham, to humanity. Jesus Christ became a man. He did not become an angel in order to redeem angels that had fallen. No. He bypassed the angels in their glory and majesty and their order of creation. And He came to us. Look at these cherubim in their position. They are of gold hammered work, one at each end of of the mercy seat. And you make the cherubim of one piece, and the cherubim have their wings spread upward. Uh, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another, and their faces are to be turned down at the mercy seat. Yes, adoration, but I believe it's more than that. I believe it is the gaze of the angels in wonder at the glory of God that He satisfies sin through the sacrifice of blood. And I've given this to you um, here in some verses about angels. 1 Peter 1.12 It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, that is prophets, but you, believers, in these things which you now, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things, gospel things, gospel things into which angels long to look. They do not have the capacity even as angels to understand the glories of of salvation. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures, elders. The number of them was myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. What does Paul say in Ephesians 3.10? Listen, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates to the angels the unbelievable, glorious wisdom of God in saving people. That's what the angels look at and are amazed by. They stand in awe and worship and glorify God and as these cherubim represent, they are in the presence of God in humility and holiness. They bow and yet they are gazing at the blood sprinkled one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times and then the high priest leaves. Then we read of the... Now we come out of the holiest place. You notice that these... Uh, these words describe for us worship and the most intimate place where we meet God in the presence of God in the holy place around this chest covered with gold and this mercy seat. I cannot help but think we've come to the throne of grace. This is what a beautiful picture of the throne of grace, is it not? To find mercy. Mercy. That's what we do when we draw near to God. And every saved man and woman in this room, you don't come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ one time for mercy. You come to God for mercy every day. Every day we keep coming for mercy. The table of showbread. Now there's a table set up in this tent. A table. All of us good southern people would love there's a table here. And there's bread here. So in Exodus twenty five thirty we read these these uh these words in twenty three you shall make a table of acacia wood, and then he gives the measurements of it, and uh you shall make a rim of hand breadth around it, and the four rings of gold, and and again you go through you shall make the dishes and the pans, its jars, and the bowls, these are all the these are all those uh Elements that must be used in the work of the priests in the holy place, now outside of the Holy of Holies, we come to see there's a table set. There's a table set, and you shall set the bread on the presence, the, the bread of the presence on the table before before me all at all times. So we read uh, this detail of Leviticus 24, "You shall take fine flour, and bake twelve cakes with it, and you shall set them in two rows. So on this table there are now two rows of bread, six in each row, on, pure, on a pure gold table before the Lord. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place. They eat in the holy place. We saw this before, and I was trying to make a point about it, that uh, all of God's Uh, these elders, they saw God and the glory of God. And as they saw God and His glory, they ate in the presence of God in glory. They ate with God in His presence. Now we see these priests. These priests who go about. They all go into the holy place and do their regular pattern, which we'll talk about in detail as we get to the sacrifices and the processes, but now they eat in the holy place, for it is most holy to Him from the Lord's offering by fire, His portion forever. You see the table was made on which meal offerings were continu- continuously laid before the Lord. I've given you this in the notes. And every Sabbath, uh, they would uh, they would change these things out. The bread is called the bread of faith. a literal Hebrew word is uh, the bread of faith or presence. You know, We find this all through the Psalms about the face of God. It is the presence of God because it was set before the presence of God. So before the presence of God, now God has set a table. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God has set a table in His house and the bread is there. And the priests of God eat the bread in the presence of God. Does it sound like the table of the Lord? Does it sound like this very special thing we do that some look at as some uh, ritual that we just hurry up and do quickly? No. You see, Jesus Christ is the bread of life and God provides for His people. The bread of life. And believers come to the table of the Lord because we are all now His priests. And as priests of God, born again, we. We've, been, we, we've had a table spread before us. And praise God, one day we'll eat in the glory of God at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I wish I had time to elaborate. But I go on to the golden lampstand, the menorah. I have four minutes to do this. The menorah. The menorah. You know about this. this is the most famous symbol of all of Jewish life. The menorah. And this, this, this description comes to us in 37. You shall make its lamps seven in number. Oh, what does the priest do? What does the high priest do? With his finger in the sacrifice of the blood of that innocent one? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And now, now on the other side of the holy place, there is a lamp. There is a lamp that is lit. And they set and mount its lamps so as to shed light on the space in front of it. See that you make them after the pattern for which they were shown to you on the mountain. So you see, the lampstand provides light. And what do we learn from the glory about this? Of the glory of the Lord Jesus in heaven. Well, God created. God created light. Let's just let's twist our minds around this thought for a moment. There was no light until God made light. You you do understand that the Word of God is saying something astounding. This is what the modern people of the world, by the way, they weren't there, but they know everything, right? God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, we all went to school. We all got our understanding of of, of light and what it means and how it works. God made it. God made light. God is light, First John one five. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And Jesus is the true light coming into the world, John one nine. There was true light which coming into the world, and heaven is lighted by the presence of God, and there is no need for a sun. Should I read it to you? Revelation twenty one twenty three. It's there in your notes. And the city has, the heavenly city has no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined, illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb of God. And believers walk in the light. We're people of light. We're we're, I don't want to go too far, but Sunday, so we talk about what is our place in the world. Well I'll give you one hint. What did the Lord say? You are the light of the world. You're the light. We're the light. So we praise God for all of these glorious truths that we learn tonight. So we see as we finish tonight this glimpse into heaven. This glimpse into heaven that teaches us some very important principles about the blood, the, the innocent blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that satisfies sin, the mercy seat. We learn of the table with showbread, the bread of face, the bread of fellowship, and the bread of life provided for God's priests. And we learn of the golden lampstand, the light of God's presence, and of all of His glorious perfections. To the praise of the glory of His grace, the the Lord Jesus is near to the door. I remind this church, I will try to every time I speak, the Lord Jesus is nearer to the door today than when, we, when I said it last Sunday. The Lord is nearer to the door today. He is soon to come. And I pray that you would join me as we always say, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, this is our promise. You walk among... You've set the lampstand in our church. Please don't remove our lampstand. Lord Jesus, let the light of this church shine. Please do not remove our lampstand. May we repent greatly if we cause harm to the Gospel. And we thank You for this blessed, blessed opportunity that You gave to Israel and You give to us to see just a little bit from our own weak human understanding of what heaven and the Lord Jesus in His glory are all about. May these things fill our minds, not the corruption and godlessness and silliness of the world where there is no hope and where there is nothing but fighting and anger and killing and murder and wickedness. We thank You for saving us and calling us out of the world so that You could send us back to the world to be Your witnesses for Christ. May we do it to the glory of God as best we can. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.